Hey, this episode is brought to you by Honeybook. Honey, Honeybook. And if you listen really closely, I mean really lean in, you're going to hear an entrepreneur tell her story about how she used Honeybook to go full-time. So check out that later in the show. It's just going to happen naturally. You won't even have to do anything. All right, let's get it started. Hello, and welcome to The Fizzle Show. <laughs> that actually got me. <laughs> I can actually hear the music in my headphones, and then it like cuts out, and it's just me going, hello. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is The Fizzle Show. I'm Chase Reeves, joined by Steph Crowder and Corbett Barr, as always. And today, we are having another conversation about things that are valuable interesting, inspiring, important, motivating, activating for small business builders, for indie entrepreneurs, for people who are earning a living doing something that they care about or people who want to, right? And so if that's you, you're in the right spot. If you've never listened to any of our episodes before, we have sort of like long, uh, in-depth, honest conversations about these things. This isn't like the four P's of personal branding. This is like a little more like, what's hard about this? Once you get the four P's set up, because that information is pretty easy, and frankly, once you blow, blow through that in the first 10 minutes of your day, then it's like, what do you do now? And it's every day, and it's day in and day out. How do you show up for yourself? How do you show up for your customers? How do you show up for your future? How do you show up for the the kind of life that you want to have? We've got more opportunity to do this than ever before. Do you know what I mean? We've got more tools. We've got more access. Uh, but it's not handed to you on a silver platter. It takes work. It takes effort. And we champion and root for and make things for the people who are out there doing it, taking the risks, giving it, giving it a shot. People who are realizing that maybe the risk isn't that risky. Sometimes, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's like, actually the thing I'm really risking is, is my, like, I just don't want to look like a failure. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes that's the riskiest thing in the world is just to, is just to not be a winner <laughs> like in front of somebody to be like, Hey, um, your stuff looks cheesy. Hey, this doesn't look very professional or Hey, you're really missing the point on this or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying, guys? Sometimes you want to put something out in the world and you don't do it for years and years and years and years because you're afraid to try it, right? And today what we're talking about on the show is about what is the first installment of that? We call it the minimum viable product. Have you heard this term before, dear listener? The minimum viable product. It's a product. It's just viable. It's minimally minimally viable. All right? It's the first kind of thing that we can make just to test the interest that people have, that the market has for this kind of uh, uh a solution to a problem like this for this kind of product, for this kind of topic. All right. What we're talking about today is let's say you've made your MVP, which is common. We're going to hear some great stories about this. Actually, you've made your MVP and then it's like, okay, so now what? (laughs) Or like we were talking about before recording, like, so you MVP'd (laughs) now what? You've MVP'd all over yourself, your website, and your customers, right? Or your future customers. What now? So I'm excited to get into this conversation because we're going to lay out some steps 
about what you need to do next. Like, what are the things you need to be thinking about? What are the questions you should be asking yourself? Every business is different. You will have to come up with your own questions to ask yourself, but we are here to help you start that conversation, give you some fodder so that you can head into your notebook and know exactly what to do. As I said before, I was joined today by Steph Crowder and Corbett Barr. Steph Crowder, how are you? Hey guys, I'm doing great. Chase, I gotta hand it to you. I feel like that was an especially solid intro. It was oh, good. Well, I'm good. I'm glad. Glad. Thanks for saying so. I have to say, I have to hand it to you. You're wearing an especially solid summer sweatshirt. <laughs> Just for you guys. I hope everybody out there is feeling some summer vibes, except for people in the Southern Hemisphere. It's really cold there now, but you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she goes, those people are literally freezing. So yep. I'm sorry I even brought it up. Corbett Bars <laughs> in Portland, Oregon, where it's actually hot. I'm, I'm literally sweating in an upstairs thing. And I don't say literally like, Literally, I mean, I, I, it's there actually, there's, there's some sweat going I don't on. Corbett, how are you? I think that was an improper use of literally, but it's fine. <laughs> I've been known to do that now and then. Uh-huh. What's going on, man? What's it? What, what's, what are you looking at? What, give us a, give us a temperature. What's your temperature? Oh, temperature's good. Finally turning on the air conditioning at mm. home. Ah. I bet at the Reeves household, you've had it on for weeks already. You guys. I, it was on all month. I mean, I have been traveling for five months. It's been on the whole time. Just leave it on. Left the windows open. Yeah. There are many splits. They basically don't take any power at all. They do. They do. They do. But no, I actually just started turning them on because I've been doing a ton of recording and it has been hot in this upstairs room and it gets like, ooh, no fun. So I've got the air conditioner cranking in here and it's still just barely keeping up with it, to be frank. So listen, we're talking to people who have uh, like maybe now I think there's a lot of people right now in the audience. I think there's a lot of people who haven't made their MVP yet. They haven't made their first minimum viable product yet. Okay. So let's, let's realize that. And then let's also realize there's also a sizable group of people who have, they made their MVP and they might be in the middle of making it right now. Like my wife is, which I'll probably tell that story soon on this episode, or they might've made their MVP months and months ago. And it's been in a little bit of a state of like, like, I don't know. I don't know what to do next about it right? This is what I want us to get into today. First thing that I think we should talk about is, um, I don't know, Corbett, you're right now managing a big software project as well as Fizzle. And it's, it's like, tell, talk to us a little bit about the difference between different kinds of MVPs, different kinds of products, different kinds of businesses. Yeah. And we were talking during the planning portion of this episode about how experience as an entrepreneur plays into how you manage your MVP Mm. and how some, some things are just going to take a while to put together a decent product. And how do you know when you should keep going and what's worth investing in before you get to revenue? You know, Mm -hmm. we, we talk about the biggest risk that you face as an entrepreneur is spending months and months. Well, the first biggest risk you, you face is just not getting anything out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the reality mm-hmm. for most people. But let's say you commit and you start building something. A lot of entrepreneurs spend months or years working on something only to put it out there and find out that nobody's really interested in it. And right. that's, a, that's a huge risk. And that's why we talk about MVPs. And the point of an MVP is really getting close to your customer as soon as possible with something that resembles 
an actual product so they can give you feedback and you can find out if anybody likes it and then you can Dude, move forward. Dude, stop right there. Say that whole thing again. <laughs> Say it again. The people need to preach. The people need to hear it. The people yeah. need to hear it. Say it again, Corbett. The reason we talk about minimum viable products is to force you to get as close to the customer as possible with something that resembles the product that you will eventually create so that you can get feedback, you can find out if people like it, and you can make a smart decision about what direction you should go from here. I mean, that was really good just off the cuff. Don't you, don't you think, Steph? Like, that I really was like, do. Yep. Like it, it, he was literally, he didn't even, he didn't break stride. He didn't, he wasn't flustered at all. His, his arms are literally, his hands are up <laughs> on his head, like elbows up in the air as he's leaning back. Just power doing pose that entre- right there. Just doing that entrepreneurial power pose where he's leaning back going <laughs> like, hmm, blue sky solutioneering. I sense a synergy <laughs> afoot. Um, and he doesn't break his posture at all to go a second time through a very long uh, explanation or a short, concise explanation about why we are constantly talking about getting your MVP out there. And if you heard, if you were listening carefully, Corbett talked about the risks that you face just before he talked about why we we're about an MVP. And it's because of these risks. Mm -hmm. It's because number one risk is, uh, you put something out there and nobody wants it. Number two risk is working on something for a long time. And then you put something out there and nobody wants it, you know? And that unactually, if you look at what your most valuable resource is, it's your time. So that second, that second risk is, is more devastating than the first. They both have the, you put something up people don't want. Well, right? they both have that. I like What's when Corbett stuff? backed up as well and said, actually, the very first risk is never putting anything out there at all, which is seriously yeah. true. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we're having this MVP conversation because the only thing I would have added to Corbett's eloquent definition is this is an opportunity to make some real money. Like you can actually, you don't have to wait to start making some money in mm. your business. This isn't just about testing the idea. It's about getting paid so you can feel really good about yourself and get some bills paid and feed your family and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in that vein, let's talk. Let's let me tell you the story of of one MVP. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you wanted to get started. Uh, so I'll tell you the story of of my wife's thing that she's doing right now, because she did this amazing brash bold thing where she uh, pre sold a course before she even made it. Right. She sold it first as a, as a workshop, right? We've always, we've encouraged people to do this. Like before making a course, sell it as like an online workshop as like a, a five week coaching group coaching program or something like that. Right. She sold the product first as that when the product is, is educational training in like conversation, insight, perspective on what what she talks about is how to trust your body again as a woman after you've experienced loss in pregnancy of any shape, size, or kind, right? Of any kind of loss. It can feel like a very big betrayal by your body, right? And And these are women who want to trust their body again because either they are pregnant and it's affecting their pregnancy or they want to get pregnant. And, you know, so anyways, the point being, I, I can talk for literal hours about the stories that I've heard about it because it's like deep work. So Melissa has this incredible sort of 
way of talking to women through this stuff and her own story, she, she comes up with the idea of like a four week or it was like four to six week group coaching sort of like online workshop effectively. Right. So she sells that. She sells that into her podcast audience, right? And she can only do it to like five or so people at a time. So she sells that and she gets that going. She goes through that. I think she did it twice before she then sold, pre-sold a course, uh, like an online course that you could take this training just as an online course. Now she's pre-sold that and she's in the middle of, of like, I think there's like six sessions she's just this week recording session three because she sold it to a bunch of people before it got started uh before anything was made and then each week since then she's been making the next week's installment but herself you guys like i go down there corbett with our old panasonic gh2 and i set it up and i get it in focus and i've got a microphone going that i've got her recording it herself into garage band right big old shotgun mic the whole nine yards and i'm like just go this will record as long as you need it to and then when we're done we press these buttons over here i'll show you how to sync it up in final cut pro and then you can edit yourself she's edited everything herself right this is baller stuff because she's not you know she she was raised on a farm in canada she didn't play you know c colon backslash doom.exe the way that i did she didn't play mavis mavis beacon types do you know what i mean there was no where in the world is carmen san diego cd rom in her household do you know what i mean so anyways just meaning like this this like all of this technology can be coming together to do this thing, and it's she who's doing it herself. This, to me, is a beautiful example of two. We, I've told you that's a story of two different MVPs: mm-hmm. the the group sort of online workshop, and then realizing that that is ready to get put into a you know course type thing that can be sold sold all the time, and all this stuff. Both of them are MVPs. Both like one MVP led to the next which this one will lead likely to the next, which will either be a different course or doubling down on doing a deeper, like a bigger version of this course after getting more and more feedback from people or something, which is where the nature of our conversation will get to eventually. Like what, what do we spend our time thinking about once we've made our MVP? But I tell that story just as an example of like, it's just palpable. It's such an easy to understand experience that like, Oh yeah. Like somebody could, could like, like, take someone through some things that they know about how to do a a serve in tennis or something like that. They can do that individually and work with five different people and then turn it into uh, something that is like a a small, an MVP version of an online offering about that. You know, it just makes so much sense. The reason why I'm bringing it up is there's a lot of different ways to do MVPs like this. Whatever way you pick, what matters the most about it is that like Corbett said, we are getting as close to our customers as possible, as soon as possible. So we don't waste a lot of time and effort and energy and potentially money working on something that we're not convinced the market's going to actually purchase, you know? Yeah. And, and there's so many things I love about Melissa's path there. An alternate path could have been that she decided she had the outline in her mind for the perfect, super in-depth, multi-chapter course, you know, with all the bells and whistles. And she could have embarked on 
who knows how long, a six, nine month long project of building out this incredible course. And then realized that she missed a bunch of stuff because she hadn't worked with people to begin with. And so I love that the, the two things that I love about the way that she went about it so far is the first is that she did a coaching program with people. Mm-hmm. The The great thing about that is that she is getting so much feedback from yeah. talking directly with people, you Dude. know, hearing from them about what they're it's struggling unbelievable. with. That one thing changes everything mm-hmm. about, about when you're about to put something into film or course or video or, or, or even just written text or something like that. When you just see how it lands with someone and you can see it either even on just Skype or just hear their voice, yeah. the questions that they ask afterwards, it cannot be overstated how important, how much that shapes your content. Yes. You know? And then, and then the second piece of that is kind of a, a little trick that she played on herself in a way which is by pre-selling the second mm-hmm. version of the course, she kind of forced herself to a deadline, to a timeline, yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. And and that's great just because, you know, we can get into creating a course and then trying to make it as perfect as possible, our timeline is going to easily slip. So I like that she did that. And I think a lot of people listening to this might have gone, wait a second, that's a, an option? You can do that yeah. and sell something yeah. before it exists? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and in case you didn't know that, that is absolutely a possibility. Yeah. Uh, it's something that people are doing. It's like, hey, get access to next week's training program where it's on sale right now or wh- however you end up wording it is one way. Then there's also just tools like Gumroad or others that have this idea of pre-selling stuff just built in. Right. I think even Squarespace has like a, a pre-selling sort of project type thing built in potentially. Um, but the, a lot of the tools out there have that as a, as a feature in some ways. And I don't know what that means specifically. I haven't looked into it. Um, I just know that my wife was able to figure it out somehow. <laughs> and that says a lot about this is doable. You guys, you can do this. <laughs> Breaking in here to read some sponsor messages. This episode is brought to you by HoneyBook. Here's how one entrepreneur speaks about HoneyBook. I got into photography because I love documenting the most important days in people's lives, but I had no idea how much time I would spend running the business. HoneyBook changed all of that. It streamlines my entire process and handles everything about making my business thrive. HoneyBook powers creative entrepreneurs like her by taking care of things like business management, invoicing, payment processing, and more. So you can do more of what you love. By the way, that was Natalie Frank, just so you know. I didn't say that before. But she has business, and she uses HoneyBook, all right? Now, HoneyBook is offering Fizzle Show listeners 30% off of their first year of HoneyBook. And just head to honeybook.com slash fizzle or use the promo code fizzle when you sign up and start a free trial. That is 30% off your first year, your entire year. That's... Almost 365 days, you guys. We're also brought to you by Gusto. Because you got to have Gusto when you're doing your business. You got to do it with some Gusto, huh? Get in there, kid. Get in. Get back in the ring, kid. You got to show this competitor in the skirmish that you have Gusto. And Gusto is, is that thing that's that feeling where you feel confident and you've got chutzpah and you've got spunk, kid. And that emotion is sponsoring our fizzle show. Oh, what's that? Oh, not the, oh, it's the company 
It's yeah. There's another. There's another thing. There's this cool company that's called Gusto. They they actually they run their business with a bit of gusto, and they help entrepreneurs have a bit more gusto in their businesses. They built Gusto because payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses, and you don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, right? So why don't we have an actual good internet company do that for us? Hmm. What a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, Gusto went and did it. And they're actually like a great company. We absolutely use and who absolutely made our lives at Fizzle, running our Fizzle business with employees in multiple states and things like that. They, these guys have helped us immensely. We love using this service. So to sign up, all you got to do is go to Gusto, uh, gusto.com slash fizzle. All right. Now here's the thing they're giving you for free. You're going to get three months for free once you run your first payroll. Okay. So again, here's that URL, gusto.com slash fizzle. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash fizzle. Our thanks to Gusto and HoneyBook for supporting independent business and 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 now let's get back to the show. Here's where I want to go now, all right? I want to go straight into, so we've MVP'd, right? We've got our MVP out there. We know that it's important that we make an MVP. We know that it's important that we get as close to our customers as soon as possible. We know that it's important that we test and get feedback on these ideas before we spend a lot of time, effort, and resources on making them, you know, quote-unquote perfect, Right? So that's the reasons why we do an MVP. So we're convinced we need to do an MVP. Now, let's say we've done it. We've come up with the MVP idea. We've made it. We are doing it. We have finished it or in whatever position that we are in this thing. The question inevitably arises, so what now? What next? And Steph, I'm curious for you. You told, okay, I want you to tell the Amy Porterfield story. Can you do that, Steph? Yes. Okay. So this is, and I'm super excited about this too, guys, because this is a sneak peek at the time of this recording. It's coming in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be episode 100 of the Courage and Clarity podcast, which I can't even believe that's how far I am with that show. Amazing. But, yeah. Um, people should jump over and check it out because I, I truly think it's my favorite conversation I've had in the year plus that I've been doing. Courage and Clarity. Amy Porterfield is the real deal. She's amazing. And um, she talks in the episode about, she's funny how she put it. She said something like, I'm not someone who gets a lot of ideas, which we kind of laughed about because we, we, we had this whole conversation about how in a weird way, that's kind of a business advantage because I actually have the opposite problem where I just right. get like shiny up. She's like shiny object syndrome. I don't get that. With her, I think it was her first course, definitely one of her early courses. She stuck with the same thing for 18 months, which feels like a long time. I feel like in business, online business world, things move fast for a lot of people. She stuck with the same thing for 18 months. I believe the first time she launched it, she made something like $30,000 from the course, which if you're listening to that and you're just starting, you might be like, wow, $30,000, like that's my whole salary or that's half my salary or something like that. Um, but you know, we didn't get into all the nuts and bolts of like a lot of times people spend money on ad spend or outsourcing. So who knows what the real profit was on that once she did all the math. However, um, she stuck with that thing for 18 months. And by the last time she launched it, it was something like $900,000 was her final launch. So she launched it a number of times over the course of those 18 months. And I was just totally floored by that because, 
Um, it's so tempting to have a launch, you know, and you think, okay, 30K, like, depending again on how much she spent, that could have been anywhere from disappointing to mediocre, I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, if she were someone who had more ideas and wanted to move on to the next thing, I think the course was about Facebook. She teaches marketing. So no shortage of different things she could have jumped to, right? Like Facebook, instead she decided, no, Facebook's going to be my thing. I'm going to keep launching it. And I said to her in the conversation, I was like, can you imagine if you had just gone on to something else and not doubled down on what you had already created? And it was such an instructive moment for me because I think the Steph Crowder from a couple of years ago would have always been tempted to say, all right, more success is like out there somewhere. Like let's expand out. Let's go create more products. Let's go do more people. Let's get more people in the door. And my mind's been kind of blown by more of these stories of people who Mm. didn't really go that route and instead said, how do I go deeper into what I've already created? How do I go even further into the success that I've had to double, triple, 10x my results? So just a fascinating story. Someone for me, one of my personal heroes is Amy Porterfield. I think she's phenomenal. So to hear like that those were her roots and by just sticking with it and getting the feedback like you were talking about, Chase, making it better, reaching more people, word of mouth, all that good stuff. She was able to turn this into something that was so, so super successful. I don't Mm. know. There's something about that story that makes it feel doable or accessible. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, what a what a great what a great instance of like, whoa! Now it makes me immediately go, all right. How did Amy know to go deeper on it, right? Mm-hmm. Or what was she listening to? What was the signals she was listening to? Was she reading someone's book? Was it a part of a formula that she she was like following that said like we're going to do it like this and like this and like this? Did she have as the intention beforehand to actually write to 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 be able to just focus? It was her goal to make a course that she launched again and again and again and again. That was already in her mind, and so she was actually just continuing on the marching orders. That's why it wasn't a shiny object thing for her to go on to something else. She had always planned to continue launching this thing because she knew it would get bigger and bigger for a million different reasons. Potentially, she chose to do what she did. And you, dear listener of The Fizzle Show, Samantha, Steve, I see you, Steve, running. (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm talking to you, Steve. (laughs) Don't stop running. Keep running. Got your heart rate up. You don't want to... But listen while I'm talking to you, Steve. Um... You're going to have to make your own decision. I almost forgot where I was going with that, by the way. I almost got to be real. Steve, damn it, Steve. Mellow out, man. You almost pulled me off my, off my rails. Um, you're going to have to come up with your own decision of what you're going to do next. And Steph is, honestly, you're fired up, Steph, mm-hmm. about, about like, you need to double down on this thing that you're doing and keep going. There's more in it for you. Yeah. Chances are. Well, I'm passionate about it because it's been my mistake, totally. But then I also find myself having a lot of conversation. I think the question that we ask is slightly off. So when we launch something, the question I've been guilty of asking that I see a lot of others asking is, what next? And I think the different question is, what else can I be doing with this? What haven't I done? And when I start asking that question with people, I feel like I have a lot of conversations with people in Fizzle, people in my own coaching business, who put something out there. And like we said with the beginning of the episode, they're like, now what? I'm just kind of in the long slog of having a product out there. Um, Instead of asking, well, what product do I move on to now? I think the question Mm -hmm. becomes, 
well, what else could I try? Like, have I been a guest on podcasts? Have I tried strategic partnerships? Have I tried a referral program? Mm. Like coming up with all of the ideas that you could possibly have to build more buzz for what you're doing. Typically, I find when I ask people those questions, nine times out of 10, they're like, well, I hadn't thought about that. I just thought that, you know, and it's I don't mean to make it sound quite so naive where it's like, I thought I'd put it out there. And if it was good, it would just be good. But I think I have caught myself in that pattern of thinking where it's like, well, a thing was good for a while then it kind of isn't. And it's tempting to be like, okay, what's next? And maybe that's partially because a lot of us, uh, I'll speak for myself. I love the building phases. I love that newness of a new project. It's tempting to kind of always chase that next new thing. Uh, when in reality, I'm, I'm just, su- lately I'm super inspired by stories like Amy's where, yeah, you don't actually have to start over every single time. Like it's possible mm. to get way more out of what you've already created over the long haul. But I yeah. think that requires a bit of a mindset shift, which is like, this is going to be a bit of a long game. This is going to be something you need to commit to and uh, not give up on as quickly as you might be tempted to. Oh man, I think that what you said, what you started that out with, the difference between asking what next and what else? Yes. Like that, yeah. that is baller. Mm. That is such a big difference. Yeah. That is, so, and we do, we're like trained by our culture to ask what next, what next we're trying. I'm trained by my entrepreneurial culture that it's like, Hey, how'd the launch go? What's next? Yeah. What's next? What's next? What's next? Cause if you don't have some idea that you're working towards, like you're dead meat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're dead meat. Do you know what I mean? And and maybe that, is, and not maybe, but it seems like uh, obviously that would be like, we aren't sharks. We don't have to like keep moving to stay alive, but man, maybe, maybe we are. I still, I haven't, I think actually, to be honest, like I'm on the fence about that. I don't know if a business needs to actually keep moving. If an entrepreneur has to keep moving or, or it just starts getting stagnant or if the business can just have new people coming in and new people and old people going out like all the time without there being a lot of energy or vitality coming from people on the staff or doing it and it could just kind of keep doing its thing. I guess that's what a corporation is. But it's like, that's what it's been like at 3M for the last 55 years, Chase. Welcome to the organization. Um, I don't know. They make a lot of innovative products, you guys. They got a lot of chemicals going on there. But more like just to reiterate again that difference between what next and what else is so big so for many of us we've launched our mvp for instance for my wife that's something i'm going to talk to her about and just like okay you've launched this course now now it's like okay so what else does this need to -hmm. become more of an engine a machine of of like constantly finding new people of growth of getting that. I mean, we use that language, like the, an engine of growth, an engine of growth, a machine of growth where it's like, there's, there's processes in play, but it's creating, it's pulling in more than it's, than it's taking out. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes like you have, you have, you either have automated marketing and advertising going over here and that takes a while to set up to get it working kind of well but it's like that's what's that's what else right now i've got the course now what else is getting into the advertising thing just getting that to the point where it's just breaking even or just slightly profitable right yeah. then that's like okay that's a thing then what what else what else well podcasts going i'm gonna go reach out try to do it what else what else and like there's there's like a solid i think of 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 a really natural season of promotion mm-hmm. that comes after the MVP. Because here's how it is in my situation, which Corbett, you brought up before we were recording. 
I do videos on YouTube, right? And so in some ways, an MVP for me is just a single video, just to make that and, and to get that out. Now, I'm actually actively, act, actively testing MVPs right now. As we're speaking, I'm in the middle of editing a very challenging video for me because it's on a very different topic and it's on a very different product. And it's like a lot of like some of my more conversational elements and less just looking at the products and talking about the product. Um, and, but it's something that I think is important. I think that people might go for, but it's like very like nerve wracking for me. It's like, geez, I don't know. What if this ruin? What if this ruins everything? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's an MVP in the sense that I'm trying something new to see how they react. I'm not changing my entire channel to talk to. I'm not doing all of this. You know, I'm just, I'm trying a video, right? I'm trying one video. Now making the video actually is, is, is in this case, it's more work than normal, but it's not that much work. The work that comes after this is where the work is. Growing that audience for that video, promoting that video, getting more people to it. That's all a part of our MVPs as well. Maybe that's one thing that we can, we can kind of start talking about in the fizzle communities. People who are thinking intelligently about businesses. It's like your MVP is a thing that you make, but there's an MV, there's a whole MVP process mm-hmm. where it's like it's making the thing and then it's your minimum viable promotion yeah, of real. that thing. You know what I mean? Did mm-hmm. I just I just coined a whole new thing. <laughs> we can create a whole thing out of this, guys. Call Eric call Eric Rise. We're we're coming in with a best selling second second one. Um the the point being like you're making the thing. Then there's this promotional strategy that's necessary as well. And a certain amount of time for that. Or as Steph called it, doubling down. And that question of like, what if Amy Porterfield didn't do that? Yeah. What if she didn't? Can you imagine? $900,000 she made at her last launch in 18 months. That's it. That Mm -hmm. is one year and a half. Like that is one child's birthday party. You know, that's all. That's like, that is like... That goes so quick, right? That's nothing. Mm-hmm. So Corbett, in this context of not what next, but what else, that's one piece of advice that we've got for people after they've finished their MVP. What's another piece of advice that you think of for people who are thinking this stuff? Well, I like this idea of realizing that it's not always easy. Like in what we hear from the Amy Porterfield tidbit um, is that, you know, we hear about when you, if you follow any sort of gurus or, or, you know, startups, you often hear how, you know, Slack launched and suddenly they had like 80 million users or something, right? Or Amy Porterfield had this $900,000 launch, but you don't know that there are often, you know, months or years of tweaking and testing and, and things going on behind the scenes. And that doesn't mean that those people weren't MVPing. An MVP, a lot of times, you know, when, when people like in our audience launch an MVP, a lot of times what they're doing is they feel like they're testing their marketing processes and their ability to sell something and not looking at the MVP as a way to get feedback from their customers so that they know whether or not the product is worth promoting in the first place, right? Mm. And so when the MVP launches and you don't get as many customers as you hoped you might, you often think of that as an indictment of yeah. the whole idea, the whole business. And it's funny, you know, Steph talked about asking people, well, did you try this? Did you try that? Yeah. 
on the other hand, or in the, in the same vein, a lot of times I'll ask people, okay, well, let's break this down in terms of numbers. How many people were on your email list? Yes. Um, mm. You know, how, how many people were exposed to this product that could have possibly purchased it? And a lot of times the numbers are actually not bad. You know, yeah, they yeah. say, they say it, it turns out that like 5% of people on their list bought this thing. But they yeah. only had 200 people on the list to begin with. So, yeah. you know, of course they only had 10 sales. Yep. Right. And right. But 5% is a lot. Yes. 5%, 5% is a great is a number. Lot. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So now maybe the challenge is, okay, how do I, instead of worrying about whether or not I have a decent product, let's get feedback from people. Let's find out whether or not this product met their expectations, whether or not they accomplished something as a result of buying it. And then if that all checks out, the 5% seems decent. Now the trick is how do I go from 200 people on my email list to 20,000 people on my email list? And now we're going to be talking about some more serious numbers. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's such a perfect, uh, point in the conversation to bring this up. I mean, it has to come up in, in, inevitably, but the question is like, how did your MVP launch go? <laughs> right. How did it go? And I think a lot of us are in that boat when we first do our first MVP. And that's exactly what it's supposed to be is it's supposed to be a little bit of a come to Jesus moment, a little bit of like a, a back to earth, back to reality, a little bit of not just sketching in my notebook anymore. This is actual results like this is the real world you know and i'm one who's so guilty of just wanting to live in la la land coming up with ideas all day long because ideas are safe and interesting and fun and i get energy from them without having to do any of the work (laughs) you know what i mean but that doesn't put food on the table so the question is when it doesn't go very well, maybe you, or, or when it's not as much as you wished it would have gone, right? Or when it's just like, you don't even know how, like, I think a lot of people just don't really have a sense of their expectations. They're like, I made this thing, I wanted to, but I'm, for some reason I'm disappointed. I didn't know I would be, right? And I mean, I made some sales and it's okay. I think one of the things that you can look at the most, one of the clearest metrics on this is what Corbett mentioned, just like the size of the email list you sent this to and and a, a few handfuls of emails or whatever and then the number uh, the the percentage of those people who actually purchased and that's the that's the it's the percentage you want to look at not the the number of sales as much that's really the a, a, an indicator of the health of the business uh the health of the um of the value proposition and stuff like that so be thinking more like that if you don't have a very big email list at all, then we're running into, like, it, it, if you don't have at least, Corey, what would you say? I mean, not that if you don't have at least some certain number, but I mean, you, if you have 10 people on your email list, don't expect one to buy it, is what right. I'm right. getting they at. May, you know, when they you, may not, yeah. yeah when you, you get into not. low numbers, it's like, it, it totally, it, it's a crapshoot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, now, so, on the other hand, if you have a couple thousand people on an email list, uh, or, you know, like a, a big social media presence, you've got like 20,000 people on an Instagram following or whatever, and you launch something and you get zero sales, then that might be telling you something, you know, either yeah. about the product or the value proposition or the way that you sold it. Yeah, no, it, it definitely tells you something. And, and knowing what to look for and what it is actually telling you, this is to me where wisdom is as entre- in entrepreneurship. And a lot of entrepreneurs will look at that and make an immediate split judgment value call on, oh, this is a bad sign or this is a good sign or the this, that or the other, right? And the, the most exciting, interesting entrepreneurs I've ever met and talked to are people like Corbett and others that I've met who, who are able to look at the data for like, 
for what it's really saying. What it's really saying, not just what you want it to say or what you're afraid it's going to say. Yeah, and I'll say that there are two kinds of data. And if you're launching an MVP and the only data that you look at is quantitative, then you're Mm -hmm. doing it wrong. If you're Mm -hmm. only looking at how many people bought this thing or how much did they use the product, you're doing it wrong because what you need to be gathering, what's even more important is the qualitative data, the conversations that you have with each individual customer, the survey results, the the detailed feedback that they say, this is why I signed up, um, this is what I was expecting, this is what my background is, this is what I liked about the product, this is what I think you could improve. All that stuff is so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And this may, okay, so this makes me want to talk about, about the reality of Melissa's course. Because here's what people need to know. Actually, you don't need to know this, but what, what is okay for you to know is that when she pre-sold the workshop, she was just filling like five seats, like for that one sort of six week session or whatever, or four, four week session. And then she was able to do that again. So she sold five. And then she sold five, but they were at like this introductory price. Like, I don't know how much, I mean, I think, I think the first one was even free. And then the second one was like minimal money because the most important for us in this was just getting the, getting, practicing through the content. Right. Mm -hmm. And now in all of her presale efforts on the course for selling it at an early bird sort of presale price for like 99 bucks, um, I think she was only able to sell like a handful of court of courses. Right. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs could potentially be in a situation where that's a bummer. And I think Melissa felt a little bit of disappointment there. But uh, to be frank, she also sold five and she knows she has to be recording those. So she's like kind of like still in just like make the finish the course mode. Mm-hmm. And and you know what I mean? There's something almost like gracious <laughs> about that, like that, like you're just in well, I have to keep, I have the, the train's moving. I have to keep it going. I have to put down tracks in front of it to get, to get through the, the rest of these, these weeks where I have to record and, and edit this stuff. Um, but when we, when we're all done with that and we've got a finished, finished course there, these are the kinds of metrics that we have to look at. Like what is the, the number of people in the audience versus those who've purchased, right? Because she is focusing, and this was Corbett's conversation that we, we got into beforehand, is like the question still remains for this very niche, very niche thing, creating a product for women who have experienced loss in, in labor and childbirth and the pregnancy of, of some way. It's like not something people are talking about very much. It's like not something that people start a conversation about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It is like not this thing that people are necessarily actively searching for potentially, uh, help and resources about, right? So the viability of this business as a, of the market for this business is still, you know, questionable. But guess what? It doesn't cost us very much time, effort, and energy to, to be putting stuff into this and to be evaluating it like, like we are. So these are the kinds of things that come up for me when I'm watching really my wife, I'm hands off on this. I mean, I am one of the world's, you know, I'm God's gift to entrepreneurs, but Melissa has, nobody told her that. And she, she won't listen to a damn thing that I tell her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the joke, that was the joke that I'm God's gift to entrepreneurs. Cause I'm like, Oh, I've mentored like literally thousands of people. <laughs> like, you know, we've talked to so many businesses and seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. But at home, you're and, just chase <laughs> at home. I talk too much. I'm a little bit manic. What's your problem? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Leave me alone um, so I can get work done. 
But I think this whole conversation has been really interesting around MVPs. Hopefully it's something that people have been thinking a lot about because it's really where the rubber meets the road in our businesses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one of the first initial steps. And when you're starting out, you need an initial step, right? The future that you will be getting in your life is based and built entirely on a foundation of first steps, right? And an MVP is a first step. And what we do after that is just another step, right? And both of these need to need to be thought about in in a way. And I like that we, in this conversation, we were able to talk about um, not just getting your MVP, but then it's like, what, what, what else about the MVP? Mm-hmm. What does it really mean to finish up with your MVP or to get the information that you really need from your MVP? It's almost like what I'm realizing is anytime we talk about a minimum viable product, we need to be talking about what a minimum viable product is actually is it's the test. And you're not done with the test until you've gathered the results. You've, you've gone through the data, right? And, uh, and just in one little point in closing here that I just have to reiterate, Corbett, your point about quantitative versus qualitative data, looking at the results of it. That's one of the things in Melissa's course, for example, where it's like the stories that are coming out of this, the moments that she's having with these women are just literally like you've never even heard of that kind of thing happening on a Skype call ever, right? (laughs) Like it's just such big, world-changing, unbelievably breakthrough, mindset-shifting stuff that... uh, and Melissa's seeing it happen like live, which is going like, oh shoot, there's something in this, right? So there's a lot of that, a lot of the stories going on with the quant- qualitative data. But, you know, like Corbett would always say, you know, crap in one hand and wish in the other and see which one fills up first. I'm such some an of the asshole. Best, no, it's some, <laughs> some of the best advice we've ever gotten. We never really, like, it, it really is. It's the best. All right, guys. This was an amazing conversation. Steph, anything to anything to say in clothing? I don't think so. I, I love what we came up with, the what else versus what now. I hope people can kind of take that away because at least for me, for someone who's asked what now a lot, I think it's mm. uh, really refreshing to ask that new question. So hopefully that helps. That's so good. I think it's so good, Steph. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Okay, that's episode... 273 of the Fizzle Show. That's fizzleshow.co slash 273. That's where you find show notes on this, all right? The links to everything, literally everything that we mentioned in there. We have a, we have a company that helps us put together the show notes, and they literally grab like every link, every single link. It's amazing. Uh, you should just click the links just to see where they go. <laughs> I haven't done much checking of them. Hope that they're going to the right places. Actually, wouldn't you check that out for me? Fizzleshow.co slash 273. That is it for this episode. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in, y'all. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.